Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, and I am joined today with Pontificating Pete. Hey everybody, I'm thinking about something important. And Melissa Kavanaugh. Howdy, howdy. And our token millennial, Misha Bokikia. Happy to be back. And Misha, it's all because of you that we're recording this episode late. I am honored. You, well, you're just our token. That's all I'm good for. We're going to be talking a little bit about millennials, and we thought it would be a little bit uh, cromulent of us. Or what was the other word you made up, Melissa? Often differous. It will be often differous of us to do a millennial episode with no millennials well, in the know, room. Well, you know, as a true millennial, I am just going to be lazy and not say a thing and not contribute. So this will be well, great that, for me. That's why we're having to record this on Monday is because you were lazy and didn't show up to work on Friday, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Definitely was not sick. Yeah, hopefully fine. you're feeling better. <laughs> you know, we have a bunch of millennials in the company, three of which have been on the podcast before, and not one of you guys was around on Friday when we wanted to record this. Maybe something was up. I know. Shen- we were having a little work from home yeah. sick day party. Tomfoolery. <laughs> I think millennials have secret meetings. Yeah. We maybe, do. Maybe it was like the on uh, Women's Day when all the women took went on strike. Maybe it was Millennial Day yesterday or Friday. You only know about it if you're a millennial though, so. This is true. So millennials do get a bad rap. They get the blame for all the things. We have a theory here at Fuel that it is not, in fact, the millennials' fault this time. They're, they're to blame for lots of things. But the shifts in consumer behavior related to instant gratification and needing everything right now and having higher and higher expectations every single day. And we see that in terms of reviews on TripAdvisor. We see that in terms of guests, whether they're happy at property. But people blame millennials for that. And we really, really don't think it's millennials' fault. So we do this study every year. Uh, it's a behavior study. We just published a new version with Flip2. And one of the things we did this year when we were looking at how consumer, leisure consumer travelers book their hotels and choose which properties to stay at is we segmented between uh, different age groups. So we did you know, millennials, Gen X, baby boomers, and the silent generation. And we looked to see if there was any differences in behaviors. And we really did not see that. But we're continuing to see overall a big shift in expectations in terms of the number of sites people look at. Uh, how they do their research, stuff like that. So one of the things we started talking about in the office was uh, what technology has done to our society. You know, whether you're looking at social media, stuff like that. So we put together this really cool graphic that timelines out all the different technologies that we feel have had a big impact and created a shift in society and how we think, how we interact, how we communicate. And so that's going to be the topic today. And you can get that, you can go pull that up while we're talking about the news in a second. But if you go to fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 38. 48. 48. 48. Man, <laughs> I lost 10 years. I'm wanting to be a millennial. Um, but no, we click on episode 48 and you will get this awesome graphic, which we're going to be talking about today. But before we do that, let's jump into what is going on in the news. All right, well, the first news item that we have is on Bloomberg, but it also appeared in a few other locations. Uh, I first read about on hotelmarketing.com, and the article is Siri and Alexa are fighting to be your hotel butler. And what they're talking about is right now Marriott is in the midst of choosing their official allegiance for a digital or a voice assistant. They're looking at both Amazon's Echo and Apple Siri 
as the technology to use in all of their hotel rooms. And the hotel basically, or the brand, is saying we're going to choose one one platform and it's going to be across the board. What's odd is the absence of Google Home you know, in this article. They do mention it, but it is not one of the items in consideration for Marriott in all their associated brands, which is pretty interesting. And when you think about it, this is a massive opportunity for Amazon. You know, I think for, for Siri, it's, it's great. Obviously, the more you know, press they can get is, is, is great for their, their system. But Apple and the iPhone have already been so adopted by customers. But for Amazon, if they are able to get into every hotel that Marriott has from a brand perspective and from an adoption perspective, that could be massive for them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Marriott Starwood combines over a million units now, you know, so it's, a, it's definitely a lot of penetration. I was definitely surprised when you were mentioning what companies were in competition for this that Google Home wasn't mentioned. Just from the little bit of research I've done, and I don't own any of these smart devices, but just from the little bit of research I've done surface level, I've seen head-to-head a lot of people prefer Google Home, which is kind of surprising. Um, and I know for me personally, Siri is like 90% of the time just garbage. <laughs> like it's just not helpful for me personally. If I could have a any device, I have an Amazon now, I would get rid of it and go with a, a Google Home. But Siri is not a device. That's what I'm yeah. kind of cons- wondering is, are it's they going to totally have different... a... Yet. Yes. Well, or is yet. it going to be just a integrated thing into Marriott's room where there's not a physical device, you just speak? Like I have a, f- a few friends that have... Um, the Amazon devices and they have hooked it up to stuff in their home and it's at least for me it was very seamless it seemed like I mean they control their lights and their audio and obviously they're a little bit more on the tech savvy side because they had to set it up themselves but I mean just from you know sitting at home if that's something you have in your home and it's that easy to use and having that in your hotel room that'd be awesome yeah and I I think that's the point right because we we are going towards a society where virtual assistants are a norm, right? Whether it's on our phone, whether it's on a device in our home. And if we have that creature comfort in our house, we're going to expect it when we get to the hotel. Just like Wi-Fi was. Just like when we started out getting internet connection at home, it wasn't in the hotels. And then there was a transition period where some hotels had it. Now you really cannot find a hotel that does not have some form of Wi-Fi connection normally very high speed internet connection, right? So I think smart devices like this are gonna be ubiquitous at some point. I think we're in the very infant stage now. Only, according to ad, ad data, only 10% of people have it in their house as of now. Fast forward a year or two, that's gonna be a lot higher, me thinks. You know, another thing to consider with this is they're planning on, we're gonna talk a bit about the millennials today, but if you go beyond that to, Gen Z, I guess that's what, you know, the true kid kids are. I have a eight and a 10 year old and every morning when they're getting ready for school, the first thing they do to figure out what they're going to wear is go and say, Alexa, what's the weather for today? They don't think of using any other means or even asking us what the weather is. Or looking outside. Or, or looking outside. <laughs> well, it could opening be cold the door. out there. We're not opening that door. Uh, but no, the, the first thing to do is they go there and ask the you know, voice assistant, what the weather's going to be, and that kind of dictates their their dress for the day. That's an eight and a 10 year old. As they evolve, it's going to become just so second nature that hotels need to evolve with them. Yeah, and I I think that's the point we're gonna make later on in this episode, right? Millennials get the blame for society being needing instant gratification, but really the reality is 
they're the ones that have grown up with this technology. Ergo, they were the ones that adopted it first and it's a bigger part of their life. But everyone else is catching up, right? My kids are the same. They use it for playing music, for setting timers, for playing games. They use the, the assistant more than I do. But I'll, I'll be honest, I'm beginning to use it more and more and more for setting timers, for cooking, for news updates, weather updates, all kinds of stuff. It does suck when it, you try to ask it anything remotely complex. Google definitely has the edge when it comes to their search algorithm. So there's some debate as to whether Amazon's going to be able to compete on the search front. But regardless of who wins, the technology of being able to walk into a hotel room and, and communicate with your voice to activate stuff is, is going to be here soon. And what's going to be interesting is whether they pick Amazon or Google or Siri, whoever it is, or maybe Cortana, heaven forbid, um, <laughs> do they brand it? Are you going to, is Marriott going to want you to walk into the hotel and say Alexa, or are they going to want you to walk in and say Misha. Marriott or yeah, Misha? <laughs> that's just a little weird. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Um, a little bit. But, but would they want it to be a Marriott branded experience? You know, I, if I was Marriott, I certainly would. Uh, but who knows? As a Marriott guest, I would want it to be as well. Because if they go with Siri and I walk in there and I say, hey, Siri, there's me multiple devices trying mm-hmm. to answer that question at once. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you got your, your phone in your pocket, your kid's tablet, all these things saying yes <laughs> or no. I do not understand that. <laughs> yeah, more that's like, probably more likely yeah. what they're going to say. All right, what's next in the news? Well, I've got an article from Business Insider UK talking about something that I didn't even know was a thing is apparently a thing. And that thing is Amazon has brick and mortar bookstores, at least a select few of them. And the latest one opened up in one of the areas outside of Chicago. And the key that I thought was so interesting about this article is it talks about basically how Amazon is using all of its online data. And you know that they have more data than we can wrap our heads around to provide an offline experience and deliver content and deliver a product in a way that the consumer is looking for in an offline setting. And you can walk into one of these Amazon bookstores and you can see the usual things that you would normally see, biographies, fiction, et cetera, et cetera. But then they break things out in ways that you just wouldn't expect in a quote unquote normal bookstore. For example, you can see most popular books for that specific area because they know what people have purchased in that zip code, for example. They have that data available to them. They know what authors are local to the area, so they'll have a section for that. But my favorite one and kind of the most scary big brother kind of one is the page turners section. And that is books on Kindles that are read in less than three days. So imagine how much data Amazon has on your Kindle and how fast people are reading a book. And so they have a whole section of just books that took less than three days to read. So you know when you pick up that book that everybody who's read, or the majority of people who've read that book just literally flew through it. It was extremely enjoyable. Chances are you're going to enjoy it as well. So I just thought it was really cool. And I think it's an example Obviously, this isn't a hotel, but hotels can certainly use their online data to help um, enhance the offline experience when customers get to a hotel. See, I like this because, and I think you and I have talked about this before, we both enjoy reading, but I'm 
old-fashioned in my reading and I just really prefer to read the actual book I don't have a device that I use for it and I'll go to Amazon and buy used books for like two dollars it's not expensive at all that was interesting to me that they've they're providing this offline experience and are kind of catering a little bit more to that but also because Amazon has a scarily accurate you know recommended for you section that's like almost embarrassingly yeah. accurate you know and they're kind of bringing that to life with these you know unique categories that they're bringing I think it's awesome. And I think you're right in that they don't even care if you go into the bookstore and you don't buy a thing because either you're going to go get it on Amazon, you're going to get it on Audible, you're going to get it from them probably one way or the other, whether it's from that bookstore or if it's online afterwards. I'm very nervous about this for Amazon because I know that they have a lot of, you know, brick and mortar aspirations, but there's also plenty of bookstores that they could move into Barnes and Noble. (laughs) <laughs> and others that, you know, have tried to be, you know, the intuitive brick and mortar bookstore. And it kind of seems like they've all kind of fallen flat and are struggling. So for them to come in, you have to think that there's aspirations beyond, I just want to be able to book. sell, mm-hmm. you know, hardcovers of books. They're trying to destroy the competition. I mean, this allegedly was part of their long-term plan when they started selling online as they, they wanted to price fix the market to the point where the Barnes and Nobles and the Books of Millions couldn't compete. And this is just an extension of that. I think it, it is really interesting to me in general that Amazon is going more brick and mortar. It's not just a bookstore. They also recently announced their Amazon Go grocery stores where you can literally walk in, activate your app. It knows you're in the store. You pick up a product, put it in your bag and walk out and the transaction happens invisibly. That, I mean, when we talk about frictionless, you don't get more frictionless than that. There's, and I there's no just transaction. saw this in one of the images. Now that you're saying that, there's an image, and it's not the focus of the image, but I see a line starts here image and pay with the Amazon app. So you scan your little QR code and show it to the agent. You're done. You walk out the door. Yeah, they they can detect what you picked up, what you bought. It's it's crazy, right? So I think they're taking shopping and consumerism to another level which I think is going to work out really well for Amazon. I just don't think it's going to work out well for the traditional bookstores. Uh, But tying this back to hotels, I think your point, Melissa, was really interesting about leveraging data you have and applying that to other areas. You know, I think that's a big miss in a lot of hotels today because you've got data on your website through Google Analytics. You've got data in, say, AdWords or your SEO tools. You've got data in your call center. And you've got a lot of data in your PMS. But right now, there's not really a product out there that ties it all together really well that I have found. Uh, you know, we've got an analytics dashboard that pulls together the marketing side, but not really the behavior and consumption side that I think is needed. So it would be great to know, you know, that the person that's coming to stay today, really getting a deeper profile on that person. What have they done before when they've stayed on property? What did they click on in the emails I've sent them? Which events did they look at when I sent them the pre-arrival email? You know, what what was what was their p- previous booking history? Have they traveled with kids? Did they have a spa treatment? You know, this is the data that we have. We just aren't able to mine it in a meaningful way today. But I really feel like the next revolution of hotels in general, operations and marketing, which we know are becoming one and the same, the next revolution is going to be related to data who can win that i don't know if it's the pms companies if it's startups if it's marketing companies uh that or exist and have a lot of that data i don't know but i think someone's going to come along and really shake stuff up by creating a product that 
you can leverage as a hotel and actually have actionable data. That's the critical right. point. And that will be exciting to see. But I think even on a basic level, hotels can do a better job than they currently are using the sure. data that they have. Yeah. Even at the most fundamental, knowing that somebody is traveling with kids or they're not traveling with kids, that this is a business trip or, you know, whatever their preferences were when they booked, you can certainly make that experience and a little more them, personal. Yeah, treating them differently and as yeah. individuals for sure. Or even identifying, you know, we, we still see a lot of people spending a lot of money in, in very imprecise ways from a marketing perspective. They're, they're wasting money on stuff that isn't working or they're trying to diagnose why a specific trend happened with their data and they can't tie it all together. You know, the example we always use with people when, we, when we're pitching our dashboard is, well, if your conversion rate on your website goes down and you've got no way to tie that to how you're performing on the OTAs, then how are you going to identify rate parity issues, things right. like that, you know? so. Being able to look at all the data in context in one place, I think is critical for hotels. Start simple, but I think ultimately we're going to get to a place where there's solution tools and solutions out there that make it easier. What's next, Misha? Well, we're going to wrap it up. This one should be pretty short, sweet, and to the point, but nonetheless interesting. So I found this article on hospitalitynet.org, and it discusses a new eye-tracking study that was released by Travel Tripper. And unless I'm mistaken, they do this um, eye-tracking study every year, because um, I've looked at it over the past several years, and they've pointed out some just different changes in the behavior of how people are looking at search engine results pages. So this study in particular was specific to the hotel industry, and you can click through to the full Travel Tripper website to see the full study. But this article just gives a top-level overview of what they noticed was different. So if you've worked in SEO for a while, or um, even just in digital marketing, you've probably heard of the Golden Triangle, which was for a really long time the pattern that people would, if you're looking at um, the eye-tracking studies, they have different colors for how long someone is looking that portion of the page. And for a long time, the pattern was it was a, a gold, so a yellow, a very heavy red. People are really looking at that portion of the page for a long time. And it was a shape of a triangle where people were mostly focusing on the paid ads. Well, this, just as things do, has evolved over time with the rollout of new search engine results pages looks. So now this has turned into almost a reverse C pattern where people are looking at the ads, then shifting over into what's now the Google local box. So if you have, um, you know, you search for a brand of hotels, let's say Kempton Hotel, for example, in Savannah, you would see their local search box. So people are spending a lot of time looking at this. So it's got the images there, it's got the reviews there, it's got the hotel information, and then they're popping over to the first organic result listing. So I don't think this was shocking by any means. Um, I was personally a little surprised that people are spending so much time on that organic search box. So to me, this just indicates that if for whatever reason, any of your information is out of date or you don't control your local search box, you need to go get that and have it verified. Make sure everything looks good. You need to be monitoring your reviews. You need to make sure your pictures are up to date and they're attractive. Um, and then also, of course, the importance of having paid ads because people are still looking there and a lot of times you have competitors bidding on your brand. Yeah, I mean, the SERP has fundamentally changed how consumers research hotels. In two things, I would say, uh, well, three things probably. One, there are more ads out there now. You know, you used to have the, the right rail. So competition's probably a lot higher, but I think overall AdWords CPC has gone up because of that. 
next up we have Google hotel ads is now much more prominent and you see in this reverse C that people are paying attention to that stuff and they're looking at the rates and the reviews that's what they need to help them make a decision and we have said this on the show multiple times but Google hotel ads if you're not doing it you need to be doing it because the return is unbelievable now and it's only been the last three or four months where it's really flipped around since the SERP changes have been made but you've got to get in Google hotel ads and then unfortunately the third big change is organic search is not as uh, I want to say it's not as important but it's just as important but it's not as effective as it was I would say because that number one search position which in terms of true rank was third or fourth on the SERP last year is now eighth or ninth you know, and we see clients where they're still number one. They were number one last year, but from that particular keyword, their, their revenue is down significantly just because they don't have the real estate that they had a year ago. I think you hit the nail on the head. It, it's one of those things where you have to constantly evolve. And, you know, I think from any good SEO is going to make sure that they're looking at it from more of a holistic perspective of just not, hey, we're ranking well. You know, here we are at the top of the organics but also looking at you know where am I on the rest of the, the SERP and making sure that information is updated. I mean, Misha, to your point, you know, making sure that the phone number on you know that local information is right is so important. And I think a lot of hotels forget about that because technically it's not their site, but it is their online presence and it needs to be focused on. Yep, I agree. All right, so let's jump into the topic. So again, to frame this up, we're talking about the fact that society today is all about instant gratification. We know what we want, we know how to get it, and we know that we want it right now, and we're not willing to wait anymore. Coupled with the fact that guests, we know in general, are more discerning. You know, we look at data like our travel study, which if you want to download, you can get from fueltravel.com slash website study. But it says that the average number of sites that a a hotel guest is looking at before making a booking is decreasing. They're getting to what they want to get to faster. We know that search engines are reporting that there's a decrease in the number of searches. We know that people are starting further down the funnel. They're typing fewer broad terms in more refined long-tail keywords. So we know in general that the consumers want things more and they want them faster. And we know that they're smarter about how to get it, right? So why is that? Is that because millennials? Because that's who gets the blame for this? We really don't think so. So we put together this this graphic which again you can get to at fueltravel.com slash podcast click on episode 48 and it basically is a timeline of things that we feel like have had a deep impact in society and have have changed the way we interact communicate in research and not all these are specific to hotels but they have fundamentally changed human behavior especially in you know, the first world in North America, in Europe, in places that are spending most of the money in in leisure travel. So Pete, you want to kind of take us through, we start in the late 80s here and go up through 2016, but you want to kind of go from the late 80s through up to uh, the 2000s? Sure. So when you look really when the modern web was created, that was probably around 1989. That's the year I was born. That's why we have it. Why is it this? Why is it this on there? (laughs) This is a very important milestone that we missed. Yeah, this graphic is flawed. (laughs) Null and void. Yeah. Continue. Sorry. So let's say the the web was created, and obviously it goes way back beyond '89. But that's really when people started, you know, being aware of the concept. In '91, America Online launches, and that was, for all intents and purposes, 
when most people began to not go online, but go to AOL and get their information. And that was the web at that time. 94, it starts to deviate a little bit from there where you have things like Netscape being rolled out, which is you know the, the first really decent, I'd say, you know, browser for the time. And then you start seeing people really starting to take advantage of the web. You have Craig, Craigslist and eBay launched in 95. Yeah, so can I do a little segue here? going to take a little off-road and go on a little journey down memory lane. So 94 <laughs> is when our company was created, right? Which is the same year that, uh, like you said, Netscape was first rolled out. And before eBay came out and these other sites started understanding fundamentally that consumerism was going to shift. How people do their research, how they consume, how they book hotels, it's going to change. That's when Fuel was created, was 94, right then. We had a visionary owner at the time who created the company who said hotels aren't going to succeed unless they're online. So he went around, he was in Myrtle Beach, which is where our headquarters is still today, and he went around and told these hotels, you need a website. And they said, I don't know what a website is because no one had the internet back then, right? So he went out and he bought a single computer. It was a silicon graphics machine. It was the only computer in that entire building and he did the programming of the websites on it he hosted the websites on it and when someone had told him what's the internet he would unplug the server and take that physical machine down to their office and plug it in there and show them what it was because they didn't have internet access he had to show it to them locally right so the bad thing was when he did that he had to take down all the clients websites because that was the hosting machine the good news is none of the clients had internet access, so they didn't know their websites were down. And because <laughs> no no revenue was really being generated at the time back in 94, it didn't really impact them from a business perspective. You know, So from 94 to today, so a little over 20 years, think about how dependent hotels are on their websites. You know, If we were to unplug a hosting environment today, our phones would go Oof. off the hook, right? People would flip their lid because this is 50% or more of their livelihood right now. Probably more when you think about how much even phone bookings, people touch the internet, they look at the website before they go and pick up the phone, right? So really a good chunk of revenue now is dependent on this thing that didn't exist until around 94. Continue, Pete. Well, and like you said, at that time, you always refer to it as an online brochure. In some cases, you know, back that far ago, it was literally the brochure a picture taken of it stuck on a domain and that was a fantastic website for the time and times have changed a lot they start changing really in the late 90s more and more rapidly as we get into the the turn of the century so you have things like in 96 ask jeeves and mapquest launched but what also launched in 96 and i didn't realize they've been around for this long was expedia that was their first year in business yeah, and this is where people start. I mean, AskGeeves wasn't the first, but it was one of the most prominent search engines where you know, people can start getting access to what they want when they want it, right? This is the beginning of, I can just type in, and now with Expedia, I can start searching multiple hotel rooms with a single click. That was never accessible. And this is where traditional travel agents started to go on the decline because Expedia was coming out and virtualizing that. But it was also a time economically when the hotels needed a boost. They needed to find more tra travelers, right? So they were turning to these online travel agents 
to help them find and, and replace lost business. That's how they were born. So right after that, we had, in 97, the first Palm Pilot device was introduced. When you, th- when you think about this, that prior to this, there was Apple's Newton that goes you know, beyond Oof. that, if you really want to go back. But this was the first successful, really handheld device. Everybody and, had a little black yeah. book before then. Right. And Literally. then what you ended up having was a little black book and a Palm Pilot, because they never really did the same things as well. And it was just, it's interesting to see how far the mobile market has come in basically, you know, 20 years from, you know, a monochromatic Palm Pilot up through, you know, to today's devices. Could you make calls on a Palm Pilot or was it strictly organizational device? It's just organizational. organizational. Until the trio came out, then yeah. you can make phone so calls. So in 99, BlackBerry came out. And that was probably the first one that was true, able okay. to call, get email type device. Something big, though, happened right before the turn of the century, and that was Google and PayPal were launched in 1998. That's really where everything started to change. Yeah, I agree. I think, obviously, Google took the the concept of a search engine and really perfected it. You know, the results that Google gave out were way better than anyone else, and that's why we saw Lycos and Excite and these other guys just disappear because their results just couldn't keep up with Google. And this was before paid ads. So all you were really worried about at that time was organic listings. Were you getting results that actually helped you facilitate whatever you were doing? And then PayPal is big because I think it started to, uh, you know, help online transactions be a real thing. You know, it, it kind of debunked a lot of the fear that surrounded paying for anything online, you know, so people started getting comfortable with that concept which was really necessary to see an escalation of online bookings for hotels. So I think that's why that's on our list and why it's important. So you have the modern web starting to form. You have Google, you have Expedia, and in 2000, you have another major player for the hotel industry, TripAdvisor launches uh, back in 2000, along with Pandora, and then shortly after by Wikipedia and Apple uh, unveils the iPod and iTunes. So a lot of stuff happened right there that really does start changing the web in which we know it. TripAdvisor being the big one from a hotel perspective, they were just a shadow of what they are today, but you see where they've come from in the last 17 years. Yeah, and they really didn't take off to start with, but they they started to, to be the infancy of something that we hadn't seen before, right? So up until then, no, put this in context, 2000, there were no social networks. You know, what did we do with our time? Exactly. What yeah. did we do at work? Did we actually work? <laughs> Some of us still actually work, not you millennials. Uh, but, you know, this was the first time that consumers started to take some of the power away from the brands, right? In, in things like reviews were existing for consumer products, like eBay had reviews of merchants and things like that and products. But this is the first time reviews started appearing for, for the hotel and the travel industry. But it didn't take off until a few years later, and we'll get to Facebook in a little while, but when Facebook integra- when TripAdvisor integrated with Facebook, that's when it really took off because it was easier for people to leave a review and to use the product. But yeah, that was the t- 2000 was a really, really big year, like you said. And you already did 2001. Melissa, you want to jump into from 2001 to 
like 2010? Sure, I would love to do that. So as we've just said, we didn't have social media yet, but we're just about to get there. In 2003 is when the infamous MySpace launched. We also had LinkedIn, which I had no idea was that I old. did not either. Uh, we had a change in communication opportunities with Skype, which is pretty cool. And then 2004 is when Facebook launches as well as Yelp. And that those two years combined alone had some, that's some pretty big impact long-term right there. Cause those companies are all still around and all still flourishing. Oh, uh, well, MySpace. I don't all right. Know maybe not MySpace. Flourishing necessarily. Maybe not. I never had a MySpace. Really? Even I had You're a You're the right age for a MySpace. Yeah, but I had like helicopter parents who were like super strict about the interweb. So I missed out on the MySpace. I actually went to college, finally got Facebook, and then came home from college a few weeks later, and my mom's on Facebook with my brother, who's four years younger than I am. <laughs> I was like, really? Is that how this works? Older sibling always gets jealous. Oh, yeah. Always gets jealous. Didn't mean to derail, but yes, fun fact, did not have MySpace. Maybe now, though. Um, I think I'm of age now. <laughs> Is so, that still so a thing? So, quick, who are your top eight? In what regard? Like my top eight favorite wines, my top eight favorite people. That was the big thing with MySpace. You had your like eight favorite. Oh, so it was was like if you were dating somebody, they would be your top one, or like you could like make an unspoken announcement that you're mad at your friend by demoting them. Yeah, exactly. They'd be out of your top. Yeah, it was very, very. Yeah. Ooh, Mm. that should be a thing. It was, and it died. And <laughs> yeah, Facebook like a, replaced it. a thing on Facebook. So back here, when Facebook was was started, it, it, it was really just for college kids at the time. It was the Facebook, but it wasn't until a lot later that really social media took off in the way that it has today, where the vast majority of people use it every single day and on their mobile device. They're, they're, it's how they communicate. You know, we've, we've gone from, I mean, I, I just use the example of my, my family, right? So my wife has a lot of, friends and she's she's the principal at school so she has a lot of teachers to communicate with and and that role has evolved because it used to be uh phone calls and then it was you know texting and now a lot of communication is done via social media so it's kind of interesting how how society has shift shifted based on these technologies that we have and next up also very important was in 2006 is when twitter launched and that's another both social media and a way that companies really do communicate with their customers on a more personal level. So I think that's really important. Yeah, I think Twitter Twitter's big for a lot of reasons, right? And and it gets a bad rap. And I think it it's not not the the favorite child like it used to be. Like a lot of people say, ah, oh, you don't need Twitter. Da, da. But if you look at it from two perspectives, one, I agree with you. It's the first time people had direct access to customer support in a visible way, right? Up until then, you had to call. And a lot of people, you look at the airline industry especially, yep. that's that's how people get stuff fixed is via Twitter now. And if you look at someone like Delta, how how many responses they're, they're pushing out every minute, it's, it's insane, right? That's their primary support now. But the other thing is I think it – shifted us from being almost getting what we want almost when we want it right so if news broke right we'd turn on the tv now with twitter it's instant oh, you yeah. know when something major happens whether it's a sporting event you know uh, or an award show some kind of catastrophe twitter is the place that people go and they comment on it and they they have a conversation about it it's not facebook Right, it's still Twitter is where that conversation happens. And I think the being visible part is really key because I know there's been a lot of times if I've had particularly a negative customer service experience, 
you know, I'll try to, you know, contact them, say, via phone or if I talk to them in person or whatever. If I'm still dissatisfied, I'm going to go complain about it on Twitter. And I get a much faster response now that I have an active audience of all, you know, 200 people that follow me. I get a response that way versus, you know, trying to sit on the phone on hold for 10 minutes. Like, yeah. I've gotten such a better response that way. Yeah, I've definitely played that I'm going to go to social media card oh, on yeah. the phone because I'm not getting anywhere and then get somewhere. You know, I've, Time Warner Cable is very famous for that. You know, you get really mad at them. They jack your rates every year. Complain on the phone. They might not do anything. You go put it on social media, they'll, they'll react very quickly. If you have a takeaway from this podcast, there it is. <laughs> How to get a better cable. Go rate. complain to Time Warner on Twitter. But it's true because this is kind of the one platform that is truly user-generated where it was never really co-opted so much by brands. You, know, you kind of see, you know, Facebook has kind of become, you know, very brand-centric and it's a, a market now. But Twitter is still the place where if you have that organic audience and that fan base and you start talking, it's a direct line. Right. And I want to be really cl crystal clear on this point. We're not saying that as a hotel, you have to be on Twitter. That's that's not what we're saying here. We're talking about Twitter from the context of, of how it's impacted the society that we live in, right? So I don't personally think that every hotel needs to be active on Twitter or even needs a Twitter account. I just, I don't think that's necessary. I think you've got to fish where the fish are and the fish for most hotels are on Facebook, right? So that, that should be your primary social media channel. However, understanding how important Twitter is to a lot of people in the world and how it's impacted a lot of people and our expectations related to customer service, I think is really important. Even if you don't have, and honestly, you probably should have you know, a Twitter profile. Even if you don't, you need to be monitoring and making sure that you don't have a problem on Twitter. And I think that's one of the things where a lot of people say, oh, I'm not interested in that platform. Well, if you have a guest who's having a horrible experience next to the pool and, you know, they're, they're tweeting out a pic of, you know, dirty areas or, you know, complaining, you need to be aware of that so you can start addressing that. Sure. Your online reputation is important. you got to monitor it everywhere. But I think unless you have the resources to be monitoring 24-7, you cannot have a presence on Twitter without being present 24-7, you know, because mm -hmm. so stuff can take off really fast. So... I think any social channel, but especially Twitter, if you're not going to be 100% in, then you should be 100% out. So following that, we have in 2005, I'm going a little backwards here, but we had YouTube launch, obviously super important in terms of user-generated content, in terms of what companies can do, et cetera, et cetera. And then we had Amazon Prime launch in 2005, followed by Netflix in 2007, and Apple's unveils the first iPhone in 2007. What? Isn't that crazy? We've only had iPhones for 10 years. Not even. It was June in, in June 2007 when the iPhone came out. 2007 is a huge year, right? Because Netflix streaming, Netflix existed before then as a DVD rental place, right? Replaced Blockbuster. Misha probably doesn't know what Blockbuster is. I do. Uh, but the streaming aspect was an extension of, you know, TiVos and DVRs in general, being able to consume media when we wanted it, you know, commercial free so to be able to pay less than 10 bucks a month to get thousands of shows and, and movies and be able to binge watch an entire season at our convenience that if you don't tell if, if you don't think that's had an impact on society and how we expect to get stuff then you're crazy 
because I mean it, it's fundamentally changed how we consume media. And then the iPhone obviously is when the supercomputer in a, in your pocket took off. You know, it, it may not be the most popular phone in the world, but it's really when it all started when we now have access to every song and every movie and every piece of news and every photo and every hotel and every rate and every you know review that has ever existed in humanity we now have access to 24 7 in our pockets that is a big deal and that again goes to why we want instant gratification why we expect everything right now and why the millennials probably get a bad rap for expecting that because that is what they've that's all they've known known. and they were the early adopters because that was exists since they've existed they adopted it did you get an iphone in 2007 misha i did not i believe i bought and paid for my own first iphone because this whole being on your parents cell phone plan was never a thing for me so i think i finally had enough money for an iphone are are you ranting about millennials (laughs) yes wow i'm turning on my own and don't get me started on generation z Yeah, no, but I'm secretly just jealous that my parents actually made me work for what I have. <laughs> it's funny. Scott Stratton, who's you know a famous <laughs> marketer guy, he goes and talks a lot. He, he's, we put on a marketing conference a few years ago, and he was one of the keynotes there. And he always says that when people are getting angry about millennials, all they're really saying is millennials are people that are younger than them and that they hate because they're jealous that they, oh, they don't 100%. have it nearly as e- as hard as we did growing up. Oh, you know? yeah, of course. Because all these creature comforts you have, all, all the so-called um, frustrations we had growing up, like having to rewind a cassette tape, you know? Oh, the horror. I, I mean, don't know. I'm looking at this chart, and to <laughs> me it looks like evidence starts in 2003. Because <laughs> everything I did in college is either on film <laughs> or it doesn't exist. You know, if, you know, tw- from 2003 on, everything was online. There was no privacy or, you know, ability. Aren't you, as a Generation X, kind of glad that there's not documentation of your entire oh, adolescence? I'm incredibly glad. Oh, yeah. yeah. Snapchat wasn't a thing when I was in college, and I'm really glad it wasn't. <laughs> Why? What did you do? <laughs> the world may never know. No, but to answer your question, I got, I finally got a smartphone in, I think it was 2010. It was before my junior year of college. Gotcha. All right, Melissa, keep going. All right. The next one is really important. 2008, Disney introduces Magic Bands. The reason this is important is because it opens the door for really not having a clue as to how much you're spending when you go somewhere. (laughs) More importantly, it opens the door for truly frictionless experience when it comes to buying things. And that opens the door for Apple, for Apple Pay, and for Google Wallet and everything else that has followed since then. You know what else it opens the door for? What's that? It opens your door. It does do that. Yeah. Yeah, literally. That's awesome. That's a bad joke, sorry. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first or last. No, it's usually Pete's job to do the dad jokes. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you topped it this time. All right. It, it's so, one, it was a closed environment where Disney had complete access to the payment systems, the person's payment method, the parks and everything. So it was a perfect test bed for you know, things like, you know, Apple Pay and Samsung Pay and, and everything else that kind of came after it. You just being able to even now go up and, you know, pay for my Dunkin' Donuts just by waving my phone over it. You know, that all started, you know, right here, you know, with Disney. Yeah. And I think then there are other hotels that are doing this now. Right. And it honestly, if I owned a hotel 
if you look at the data of how much more people spend when they have that kind of technology mm-hmm. and it is frictionless, it goes back to the old uh, on the uh, ships, right? Yes. The cruise ships you used to have the swipe card and you didn't really keep track of it. But now it's on your wrist and it unlocks your door and you don't carry a wallet. That's all you take with you. If I was a hotel and I had a bar on, on premise and I was selling all these additional stuff, you better believe I would have magic band kind of technology. Heck on yeah, but I don't have to worry about holding onto a key all night. Right. Think about it. Give me that your open bar. The keys. <laughs> yeah. This is true. And you can actually monetize it by, you know, the way it costs money for people to get magic bands at Disney, right? And you can get them more customized and spend more on logoed ones, things like that. It costs a lot of money for the, the swipe cards. And the re- return rate You have to spend money is, in order to spend money. The return rate is, uh, you know, pretty low in terms of getting your swipe cards back. So keyless technology, whether it's through the phone or through a magic bank technology, I think is going to be really highly adopted in the next few years because it just financially makes a lot of sense for the hotel but more importantly i think you can increase your revenue per guest significantly by making the transaction a lot more frictionless because they really don't keep track of what they're spending no i'd spent way more at disney than i would have had i not had a, a magic man <laughs> yeah it's because you didn't set the kids permissions and let them spend <laughs> no you didn't. <laughs> i, I show you i did that was the first thing i did i think misha's up all right misha this this Bring it home. 2010, finally some companies I've heard of. Just kidding. <laughs> um, so 2010, we saw Instagram, which was eventually acquired by Facebook, but this was really a, a change in the direction to a more visual social media channel and a, certainly a channel that is important for a lot of hotels. Yeah, because people were too lazy to read, so they just want to look at 100% pictures. 100% millennials. We yep. don't like to read. Right. I'm looking at a visual now. I don't want to read it. <laughs> Um, so 2011, we saw Siri, the first personal digital assistant, who still has some work to go clearly in 2017. Um, but we also saw Snapchat, now just Snap, and Uber being launched, which Uber, we've talked about before, was kind of the forerunner in what is now called the sharing economy. We also, in 2012, saw the launch of Tinder and Blue Apron, and then also the Apple iPad introduced, which is surprising. I thought the iPad was... A little older than that. I know. It's only five years old. <laughs> and think think about how much that's revolutionized. Every, you know, put it this way. I talked to my kids this past week. They, they went through their map testing, which is their standardized testing. All of it is done on an iPad now in the classroom. They hand out individual iPads to all wow. the kids, and they do all their standardized testing on that tablet device. So it... I mean, so it's not like gobble things to fill in anymore. You don't need yeah, a number you, two pencil. You touch the, the Do you even response. know what I'm talking about? I yes, I'm okay. not twelve. I know what a pencil is. No, I and mean a scantron. Like, yeah, yeah. scantron. Yeah, so I um, did go to school. I'm from Mississippi, but we did have testing. Oh, so let me tell you about iPads. They're awesome. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Sorry, everyone in Mississippi. We we can make fun of them because you're from Mississippi. A hundred percent. That's okay. fine. I don't live there anymore. Clearly, I'm. But yeah, fine. this whole new generation is growing up with touch interfaces. You know, in. Obviously, that's what they're going to expect when they get to airports, when they get to hotels. They, they want stuff they can touch and interact with. Yeah, and I think some of these apps, I mean, you have Snapchat. I mean, you've got something you record and send to your friend or take a picture, and that's there for however, up to 10 seconds, and then it just disappears, and that's it. And then you've got you know, the dating apps like Tinder, where you literally just have a picture and a short profile that nobody's going to read, and you just swipe whether you like them or not, and like that's it. I mean, it's just... It is everything, as you can see from this timeline, is becoming so instant. There's no thought involved. 
That's a scary thought, actually, (laughs) when you bring it up like that. Um, So moving along, we've got 2014 um, Amazon Echo. Apple Pay was introduced as well. So two technologies that we've talked about a lot recently. We've also got wrapping things up in 2015 was the Apple Watch goes on sale and Periscope launches, which correct me if I'm wrong, but that was acquired by Twitter, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. And then 2016. And isn't it cool? It's like Twitter Live now, I think. See, I, for some reason, I thought it was killed off. I knew they killed off Vine. Yeah, no, they killed Vine and they killed Periscope's brand, but now it's Twitter Live. I don't think it's done a very good job. No, their branding's not good. No. Facebook Live, however, is a thing and is huge right now. Um, And Google Home also launched in 2016. So, man, that is a lot of stuff in the last 20 years. When you put it in context that five years ago, iPads didn't exist. Ten years ago, iPhones didn't exist. You know? Twenty years ago, the internet really didn't exist. Think about how we've evolved as consumers and how, as hoteliers, we've had to adapt to that. And that's the point, I think, the take-home from this episode is that don't get hung up on the this this misnomer that millennials are changing stuff. It's not. It's society has changed. And we've got to adapt as hoteliers and as a hospitality industry to cater to the needs of our guests. I would agree. And I think, I mean, at least for me, we've all gone to hotels or, you know, any service industry, restaurants, and we've had a negative experience. And I've been on both sides of that. You know, I, I grew up working in restaurants. And I think, you know, just looking at it from an operations perspective, you know, kind of trying to tell your staff to put yourself in your customer's shoes and have a little bit of sympathy here. I think, you know, definitely being a customer, I've probably gotten frustrated too quickly about something that really wasn't a big deal or didn't matter, you know, and, you know, as a staff member, you get frustrated at, you know, this, you don't think it's a big deal whether let's say their Netflix isn't working in their room, you know, but trying to look at how society has evolved and saying, Hey, look to them, this is a big deal. You know, this is what we've grown accustomed to. And these types of instantaneous things that we have access to, like that's expected at a hotel or, you know, at your restaurant, wherever it may be. And I just think the hotels need to really wrap their head around that and, you know, take what people need into consideration. Yeah. Regardless of how silly or unrealistic those expectations are, it's the reality of what we live in. Like if I went to the Marriott and I saw they had Netflix integration and then it wasn't working, I would be pretty angry. But if you went there and you didn't see Netflix at all, you would just say, oh, all right, it's not there. Sure. But the fact that it's there yeah. and you can't have it. Or if, you know, you have a, whether it's a streaming service or they're advertising, you know, oh, we've got, you know, Siri in the room or whatever it might be, you know, you're offering these services and that's great. But then being able to deliver on them and making sure your staff is properly trained. I mean, all that's kind of part of it. For sure. There's, I forget which uh, late night show it was, but there was an anecdote like that about the, the airline industry where a guy got really mad because the Wi-Fi wasn't working on the on the plane. And this was literally as they were rolling out Wi-Fi on the plane. They literally, that trip, found out, hey, we got Wi-Fi available now, but it's broken for this particular flight. And this guy got really mad about it. And you're like, it didn't exist the last time you flew. And now it's something that you can't live without. But that's what's happening now already with a lot of technologies, you know. If, if, if you go into a hotel room now, you're seeing more and more that do have Netflix on their TVs. And I, I would hypothesize that within two years, people are going to get frustrated when you don't have Netflix. You know, you better be putting smart technology into, into those homes or into those rooms. And I think in five years, 
the voice search devices or the voice activated devices are going to be a prerequisite as well. So people want to get to their hotel room and not have to think about anything. It's going to get to the point where you just go, you can put on your Netflix, you can talk to your device and adjust the lights and the temperatures and it's going to be fantastic. No more thinking. <laughs> as said oh. by a millennial. Yes. Yeah. That's why we needed you on the show. So you could show all our guests of our podcast what millennials are really like. I'm just here for the aesthetics. Yeah. <laughs> on the podcast yeah. that nobody can see. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, segue. Oh. Foreshadowing. Oh. So they cannot see us today, but in, t- in two episodes' time, they're going to be able to see us in full Technicolor. I have two episodes to get pretty. <laughs> Oh, we, we're going to need a bigger boat. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, all right, so our 50th episode is coming up, guys. Did you know this? Yeah, we're I old. Pete, Pete, you knew this? I knew this. Well, I knew you think it's only episode 38. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so we have a so lot you, of time left, right? You can count. I cannot, apparently. So in two weeks' time, so on April 7th at 2 p.m. Eastern, we are going to be trying something really fun to celebrate our one-year anniversary of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. We are going to be going live on Facebook and YouTube, potentially Twitter Live slash Periscope. Sure, why not? <laughs> why not? Loop it in there. Uh, but we're going to be doing a AMA, an Ask Me Anything episode. So you can submit your questions to us on Twitter at Fuel Travel with the hashtag Fuel AMA, F-U-E-L-A-M-A. And the whole episode is just going to be dedicated to our listeners' questions. So anything you have that is marketing-related, hotel-related, cats and wine related whatever you want we're going to do our best to answer it live and i think actually looking around the room the four of us that are sitting here are going to be the four that are available that day so it's going to be misha melissa pete and me are all going to be your hosts for this amazing once in a lifetime episode the fuel hotel marketing podcast episode 50 so and go crazy ask us get excited questions. ask us questions we've already had a couple of questions submitted on twitter because uh, we've been posting it on our social media t- and soliciting. So, yeah, we're excited about it. Hopefully, you are too. Hopefully, we can pull this off. We've never done live streaming before. So, be patient if there are glitches. Let's hope <laughs> there aren't. Uh, but, yeah, we are going to be doing that in it. We're going to be having fun. So, Pete, where can they find you on the webs? They can find me at P DeMeo on Twitter, which is P D I M A I O. But wait, we have a special announcement. Oh, we do. We had another review, Pete. We did. Ooh. We had uh, Pro 5678 has a lot to say about Wait, podcast. Wait, was it 5678 or 5677? This is 5678. Oh, man. I don't know him. I, no, think, no I think what it means is Pro 5677 was already taken. Okay. And it's incredibly popular to have a Pro. Yeah. Anyway, they gave us five stars, which is very much appreciated, and said... It was missing, and here it is, a hotel podcast. Thank you for putting that together and for finding new ways to make it even more interactive in the future. Ooh, that was very nice of him slash her. That was very nice. I think they serve as an example to everybody who's listening right now to go on iTunes and leave us a review just like this. That would be swell. I mean, it's almost our birthday. You know, we're going to be have done this for a year. And what better birthday present to give back to us than to leave a nice review? That would be great. And if you do, we will read it out in its entirety on the show. So you can be as... And maybe we will or won't make fun of your name. Well, <laughs> probably. Either way. But 
we will definitely read it. So if you want to make fun of us, you can certainly put that in the review. We would be happy to read it. Melissa, where can they find you on the web? I am on Twitter at Ma Cavanaugh, M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. And Misha. You can find me at Marketing Misha. That is at Marketing M-E-I-S-H-A. And you can find me at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. Again, submit your questions for our 50th episode with the hashtag FuelAMA. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. So what do you call a bird of prey born in 1985? I don't know, Pete. What do you call a bird of prey born in 1985? A millennial falcon.